This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. This is Don Boyd. Welcome to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in the book of Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 today. Paul began discussing or discussing the Jews' rejection of the gospel back in Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, 2, and 3, he wrote, That I have great heaviness and continue sorrow in my heart, for I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Well, by the Jews rejecting the gospel, they had rejected all hope or any hope of for salvation. Romans 10 continues this thought, but it also gives the cause for their rejection of God's word. You see, the Jews missed the way of righteousness because of their ignorance of God's word. And we're going to be looking at Romans 10 verses 1 through 4. In Romans 10, 1, we see that even though the Jews had often persecuted Paul, he still wanted them to be saved. Romans 10, 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know, Paul had the same love for Israel that Samuel displayed when Israel demanded a king. We go back to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 12 verses 23 through 25. 1 Samuel 12:23 to 25. <clears throat> it says, "Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you." That's Samuel speaking to the nation of Israel. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So Paul showed the same love for Israel that Samuel showed back then. And I want to look at a few examples of the persecution that the Jews did to Paul. First of all, look in Acts 13.45. Acts 13.45. Said, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, and it would be the multitudes that came together to hear the word of God, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. This was in Antioch of Pisidia. In Acts 17, verse 5, Acts 17, 5, said, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, <clears throat> and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. There's another example of persecution. In Acts 17:13, said, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, 
they came thither also and stirred up the people. So again, the previous in, in Acts 17 was at Thessalonica, and now Paul is at Berea, and the Jews have come down there to persecute him. In Acts 22, while Paul is there making his defense before the group there that wanted to kill him, in verses 21 and 22, says, He said unto me, this is being he speaking of what Jesus said to him, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now, verse 22, we see what the Jews' reaction to that statement was. And they gave him audience unto this word, that being the word Gentiles. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. We see how much they hated the Gentiles. In Acts 23, verses 12 and 13, this is while Paul was in prison. Says, and when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 which made this conspiracy. Of course, Paul was escorted safely there to Caesarea. And I wonder, did they never eat nor drink, or did they just die because of that oath they made? But you go back to what Paul said. Paul's desire for Israel that is that they might be saved. Vincent's word studies says of the word desire there, the goodwill of my heart. It was the goodwill of Paul's heart that Israel could be saved, even though they had persecuted him so many times. But we find out in Romans 10, 2, that zeal without knowledge leads to error. Romans 10, 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, Paul is exhibit A of that statement that he just made. He said in Philippians 3, 4 through 7, Philippians 3, 4 through 7, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, thus touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me those I counted lost for Christ. You see, Paul also was a Pharisee. He also persecuted the church. And he is in a proper example there of having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Again, the Jews had zeal. There's no doubt about that. But they had a lack of knowledge. I want to look at two verses in Hosea. Hosea 4.1 and Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.1 says, 
Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. You see, the Jews could be saved only if they would accept and obey the gospel. Olinsky gave some examples of Jewish zeal. And I quote, Says even a Hellenized and Alexandrian Jews under Caligula died on the cross and by fire, and the Palestinian prisoners in the last war died by the claws of African lions in the amphitheater rather than sin against the law. Unquote. So they were willing to die. They had a zeal for the law, a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Kaufman wrote this. It would take volumes and volumes. Excuse me, let me start over. I quote. It would take volumes and libraries to recount the heroic zeal of the Jews, which finally culminated in the bloody sorrow of Masada, where Eliezer Benyer made his courageous stand against the 10th Legion of Rome. <clears throat> when all hope was cut off, rather than become slaves to their captors, the defenders, 960 men, women, and children, thereupon ended their lives at their own hands, unquote. Still a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And because of their lack of knowledge, they did not understand the whole scheme of God for mankind's redemption. That's Romans 10.3. Romans 10.3 says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they were ignorant of God's righteousness, trying to establish their own. You know, in a, a few examples. In Acts 3, 17 and 18, Acts 3, 17 and 18, Peter speaking says, And now, brethren, I water, I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did ye also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. So he's saying that they killed Christ through their own ignorance. Same thing in Acts 13.27 when Paul was telling what was taking place back in Jerusalem or what had taken place in Jerusalem whenever he's speaking there in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia. He said, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. So they did not believe the word of God. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, 
the righteousness that Paul speaks of is the righteousness that is revealed in the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the gospel revealed the righteousness of God, and the Jews rejected, mainly rejected the gospel. So the Jews did not subject themselves to the gospel because they wanted to establish their own system of justification. What they did was elevate their traditions above God's law. Now Jesus gives an example of that in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, we have the same thing going on in the religious world today. The denominational world tries to establish their own system of justification or various systems of justification and elevate their own traditions above God's law today as well. But men's plans of salvation, such as the sinner's prayer, belief only, and such things as that, all men's plans of salvation are doomed to failure failure. In Romans 10.4, we see that Christ was the goal of the law. Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for or to everyone that believeth. So Christ was the end of the law for righteousness. It was the goal of the law. The word end there translated from the Greek word telos, and this is Strong's definition of that word to set out for a definite point or goal. Properly, the point aimed at as a limit, that is by implication, the conclusion of an act or state, termination, literally, figuratively, or indefinitely. Result, immediate, ultimate, or prophetic, and purpose. In Galatians 3, 23 to 24, it gives an example of that. Paul wrote there, Galatians 3, 23 and 24, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the law of Moses set out to reach the goal of Christ. And now that that goal has been reached, we're no longer under the law, and we are now justified by faith. In Colossians 2.14, we find that Christ terminated or fulfilled the law, the law at his death on the cross. Colossians 2.14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, 
nailing it to his cross. He fulfilled the law. Gareth Reese wrote this, and I quote, The aim or goal of the law was to show men their sin, their need for a Savior, and their need for the righteousness which is by faith which is made possible by him. What Israel failed to see was that the law was intended to lead a man to Christ and in relationship to him one would find that he was now in right standing with God having been justified by faith, unquote. Well, God's method of salvation is by the way, and the way is Christ. And we're going to be looking at Romans 10, 5 through 10 concerning this, but going back to John 14, 6, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Romans 10, 5, the only way to obtain righteousness under the law of Moses was to keep it perfectly. Romans 10, 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, we see where he's quoting from. Leviticus 18, 5. says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. In Romans 3, 23, though, we find that this righteousness cannot be obtained by the law because everyone sins. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 1 John 3.4 says Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. Well Christ is the only way for us to obtain unto righteousness. And every Jew familiar with the law of Moses should have realized that and accepted the gospel. In Romans 10, 6, and 7, righteousness of the law is contrasted with the righteousness of faith. Romans 10, 6, and 7. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead? You know, Paul is basically saying that the gospel has already been confirmed. We don't have to send for Christ to come down again or go have somebody send to get him out of Hadean world. In Deuteronomy 30, Look at verses 11 to 13. Very familiar with what we just read. Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 13. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? In other words, he's saying it's near. It's here. You've heard it. You've got it. Paul was saying the very same thing. 
You see, there is no need in demanding that Christ come down from heaven again, and there is no need for Christ to die and be resurrected from the grave again. Look at Romans 1, 3, and 4. Romans 1, 3, and 4. It says, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It's already been established, in other words. In Acts 2.36, there in Peter's sermon, there on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.36, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. There it is. And you remember that the Jews wanted a sign from Christ? Back in Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 16, 1 through 4. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting him, or tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. The sign of the prophet Jonah, Jesus would be in the dead in the earth for three days and be raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21 to 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 to 24. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, God doesn't call preaching foolishness but to the world preaching is foolishness they don't understand why we want to go listen to God's word in Bible class on Sunday morning worship service on Sunday twice and even Bible class on Wednesday night why would anyone in their right mind want to hear God's word so much when they can be out fishing or home relaxing or whatever the plans may be. That's what the world considers the foolishness of preaching. It's foolish. But to those who understand preaching the foolishness there, Christ crucified, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Romans 10a, it just says people do not need a miracle to live by faith. Romans 10a. He says, but what saith it? 
The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. All you need is the word of God. Miracles have ceased anyway. They are no longer needed. They proved what they were given to do, and that is to establish the word of God. They're no longer needed. We only need the word of God. Now, what Paul is speaking thereof in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 30, 14. Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. It's not out there somewhere. You don't need a sign or a miracle to do it, to prove it. It's already been done. And it's already here. It seems to relate to what Luke wrote there concerning the discussion between Abraham and the rich man there in Luke chapter 16, verse 31. Abraham is speaking to the rich man about his five brothers. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know, the rich man there told Abraham, well, let Lazarus come back from the dead. They'll listen to him. I don't want them to come down here where I am. And he said, it doesn't matter. If he came back from the dead, they still wouldn't listen if they won't listen to the word of God. Well, we have one who was risen from the dead, Jesus Christ, and people still don't believe him. You see, the evidence is already here. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you that first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as a one born out of due time. So the proof's already there. Jesus was raised from the dead. You don't have to have somebody go up and get him, go raise him from the dead again. The proof's already there. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment, and I quote, This great and good gospel is not far off, it is nigh. It is as near as your mouth with which you use to confess it, and as your heart, intellect, emotions, willpower, and conscience with which you reason of it, love it, obey it, and know it is right. Unquote. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, there are two essential responses for mankind to be pleasing to God. They are faith in the heart and confession with the mouth. Romans 10, 9 and 10. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, there are those that I've heard that claim that all you have to do to be saved is obey Romans 10, 9, and 10. Believe in the heart and confessing. And I heard a man say, that's all that you need to do. Well, you know, there are some things missing in Romans 10, 9, and 10. One of them is love God. If everything that you need to do to be saved is in Romans 10, 9, and 10, you don't even have to love God because that's not mentioned there. But you see, faith and confession are necessary for salvation. But repentance is necessary for salvation also. You know, both Luke 13, 3 and Luke 13, 5 say, Jesus speaking, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So belief and confession is not all that's needed. There has to be repentance. Something else is there as well, and that is baptism is also necessary for salvation. You know, Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Again, you have those that try to say, well, he didn't say that he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. Did he have to? Did he lie in the first part there where he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? Is that a lie? If so, Jesus is not a savior. In Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, none of these alone can save. You have to believe in your heart. You have to confess him. You have to repent. You have to be baptized. You have to hear the word of God. It's the first one. All of those together can save. Any of those alone without one of the other cannot save. You see, when we confess Christ before others, we are declaring that we believe what God said. You know, in Matthew 17, 5, Matthew 17, 5, it says, and this is the transfiguration, and while he yet spake, that being Jesus, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of heaven which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Not Moses, not Elijah, who were there with him. In Mark 9, 7, we have, again, the transfiguration. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Again, not Moses, not Elijah. Luke 9.35, same thing. There came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now I want to notice that belief and confession in Romans 10, 9, and 10 are made unto salvation. Just the same word is found in Acts 2.38, which is for remission of sins. It's the Greek word ace. 
translated unto in Romans 10, 9, and 10, and for in Acts 2, 38. Thayer gives this definition for ace. Into, unto, to, towards, for, among. You'll notice that the little word ace here is a preposition. There are biased versions or translations of the Bible that do not translate ace the proper way in Romans 10.10, 10, and that's the one we want to look at. It. The first one is the English Standard Version. A lot of people believe in the English Standard Version. It is a perversion of the Bible. And one reason is Romans 10.10. 10. This is what the English Standard Version says in Romans 10.10. 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, they changed the Greek word ace from a preposition to a verb. Why would they do that? Bias. Bias in religion. Denominationalism. If they will change a preposition to a verb, what else have they done? The New American Standard Version of the Bible. This is what it says in Romans 10.10. 10. For with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So they change the little Greek word ace, that is a preposition, into an adjective resulting. And if they will do that, what else will they do? You can't trust versions that change things like this. And then you have the New International Version. It says this in Romans 10.10. 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. They changed the Greek word ace, a preposition, to a verb. So you see the bias, and these are just three examples that I'm going to give here. The bias of your newer translations, very poor translations that you cannot trust. Well, in Romans 10, 11 to 17, we see that a faith that saves must trust and obey. In Romans 10:11, those who are obedient to the gospel will not be ashamed. It says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And whosoever would include both Jews and Gentiles. In Isaiah 28:16, Isaiah 28:16, it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God. Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Same thing as shall not be ashamed there in Romans 10, 11. And in Romans 10, 12, and 13, 
there is no racial difference in God's eyes, and there should not be in ours. Romans 10, 12, and 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's no difference. Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter the color of your skin or anything. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Joel 2.32 is where this kind of comes from. Joel 2.32, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Well, in Acts 10.34 and 35, Acts 10, 34 and 35, whenever Peter had preached there to the household of Cornelius. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In Acts 17, 26, there in Athens, Acts 17, 26, Paul said of God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We are all human beings. It does not matter the color of our skin. And he says that those that call upon the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? The Bible defines it in Acts 22:16. Those that call upon the Lord are those who do his will as directed in his word. Acts 22:16, and I speaking to Saul of Tarsus. And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? That's how you call on the name of the Lord. In Matthew 7:21, it's just not acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then he says, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, those are the ones who shall be saved. And the process by which one reaches the point of calling upon the name of the Lord is given in Romans 10, 14, and 15. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of, God, of good things. So you think about what just said there, what is just stated. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Go to Acts chapter 8. Notice how this falls right in with what Paul is saying here. In Acts chapter 8, whenever you drop down there to verse, 27, uh, verse 26, excuse me, 
The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? Go back to Romans ten fourteen. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In verse 31 again there in Acts chapter 8, middle of it, he desired Philip he would come up and sit with him in the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You want to see a good example of Romans 10, 14, and 15. Look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So, you know, a person must believe to call on the name of the Lord. I want to look at John 8, 24 from the literal translation of the Bible. John 8, 24. Therefore I said unto you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is claiming deity. And if we don't believe that, we're going to die in sins. But that is one thing a person has to do is believe to call on the name of the Lord. A person must hear what to believe to call on the name of the Lord. We saw that here in Acts chapter 8. I want to look at Acts 16, 30 to 32 there with the Philippian jailer. And this is again the literal translation. Acts 16, 30 to 32. And leading them outside, he said, Sirs, what must I do that I may be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those in his house. They told him to believe, and then they told him what to believe and what he had to do. A person must have someone teach them the truth before they can hear what is needed. In Acts 11, look at verses 13 and 14. Acts 11, 13 and 14. Of Cornelius, Peter is saying here, and he showed us how he'd seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Someone has to teach the truth so that people can hear what is needed for salvation. And someone must be sent to teach the truth before any of that can happen. You notice Philip was sent. An angel spake to him, and the Holy Spirit showed him what to do. In Isaiah 52, look at verse 7. Isaiah 52, 7. 
says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth forth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And in Matthew 18, 28 and 20, 220, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So Isaiah was prophesying of the return of the Jewish captivity. He speaks of a messenger bringing news of their release from captivity. And Paul uses that same prophecy to show the good news of the gospel. Mankind is under the captivity of sin. But the gospel is the good news that we can now be free from sin's clutches. But not everyone that hears the gospel will obey. Romans 10:16. Romans 10:16 says, "But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? That comes from Isaiah 53:1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So who is responsible for the failure to obey the gospel? It wasn't God. It's not God. It is not the inspired writers. It is not those who teach the truth. It is the responsibility of the hearer to obey the gospel or decide not to. Brother Robert Taylor again said this, and I quote, Paul preached one of his greatest sermons in Acts 26. Not a single soul obeyed the gospel. It was not Paul's fault. It was not the message's fault. It was the fault of human hearts that refused to be moved toward gospel obedience. In Romans 10:17, the faith that saves comes from hearing the word of God. Romans 10:17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This verse shows the lovely link between faith and hearing. That's another statement from Brother Robert Taylor. Hearing is the cause. Faith is the effect. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we find this, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, we must take heed to what we hear. In other words, the content of the message. And how we hear. That is our manner of reception of the message. Jesus warned of that in Mark 4.24. There it says, Mark 4.24. He said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, and with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. In Luke 8.18, Luke 8.18, Jesus said, Take heed therefore how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. You know, before the Corinthians were baptized, they heard, and they believed what they heard. Acts 18, 8. 
Acts 18 says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, in Romans 10, 18-21, the prophets marked the way of salvation for both the Jew and the Gentile. In Romans 10, 18, we have there, did the Jews fail to believe the gospel because they had not heard? Romans 10, 18, Paul says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. You see, these are questions that Paul is anticipating. Did they not hear? Yes, they heard. Well, had they not heard? Well, the gospel message had covered the earth. Colossians 1.23. Colossians 1.23 says, If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So yes, they heard. Those that are not saved have only themselves to blame. The sower sows the seed. It is the soil that makes the difference. The word of God is taught that sowing the seed. It is the kind of heart that the word of God is sown into that makes the difference. You know, maybe he's saying in Romans 10, 19, maybe Israel just did not know about the gospel. Romans 10, 19, but I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation that I, that I will anger you. That's another question anticipated. Well, Moses told them about the salvation of the Gentiles in Deuteronomy 32.21. Deuteronomy 32.21, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So God is going to use the Gentiles to anger the Jewish nation and hopefully bring some of them to obedience. Isaiah told Israel about the salvation of the Gentiles also in Romans 10.20. Romans 10.20 says, But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. That's Isaiah 65.1. Isaiah 65.1, I am sought of them that, not ask, that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. And I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. In Acts 13, to 48, the Gentiles previous to the proclamation of the Gentile, uh, excuse me, of the gospel, refused to seek God, but they embraced the gospel when it was made known to them. Acts 13, to 48. Says in the next day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord hath commanded us, saying, 
I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And in Romans 10.21, Isaiah's language against Israel got even stronger. Romans 10.21, But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. That's Isaiah 65.2. Isaiah 65.2, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. So God wanted to obey him. He waited with outstretched arms, and they would not. Well, you know, they met God's invitation for salvation with disobedience and blasphemy. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus speaking, Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. So Moses and Isaiah prophesied what Paul found to be a sad reality. The Jews mostly rejected the gospel and hated Paul for taking it to the Gentiles. The Jews had heard the gospel in prophecy, in the preaching of Christ, from the apostles, and from others. And Paul was positive proof that any Jew could be saved if he would obey the gospel. And Paul points out that for anyone to be saved, both Jew and Gentile, they're going to have to come by the way of the cross. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for being with us today and look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.